Please take out your sermon notes and turn into your Bibles if you'd like to join us in the book of Mark, chapter 15, please. There are people in our lives, and when we see them coming, we start smiling as we are glad to see them. We enjoy their company, and when we walk away from them, we feel better by their presence. Their words speak life into us, and we are uplifted. Walking into the presence is almost like walking into like a, like a taste of heaven because of their influence. You know, Jesus said, by our love for each other, uh, it will be attractive to the world or the community, our interaction with each other. We love each other. And so if we're going to reach our community, one of the things I believe is important for us is that we, first of all, we love God. God is love. We love God. And then we have an intense godly love for one another. If we have that, uh, you know, that'll be attractive. Now, we all want to be like the person who values and enjoy our company. We all want to be that individual, but as we flip the coin on the other side, there are other people in our lives, and when we see them coming, we start thinking of plans of how we can avoid them. We brace ourselves for their presence. We go in defense mode. Our shields come up. We mentally pump ourselves to... Uh, be strong as we know that to stay and engage with them is going to be a difficult, and it's like going uphill. And then after they leave, it's like going downhill. We, we relax. We also feel guilty about that because we are, no, we are, uh, are challenged. We know that we're supposed to have unconditional love to all people. We, we label these people uh, as like they're toxic, you know, they're poisoned, that they, they, they do something. Now, Josh mentioned that he may have gotten food poison this week, you know, and, you know, that uh, certainly may have, uh, uh, you know, not as a difficult time, you know, your body getting sick and rejecting that, going through that process. How do we respond to toxic people in our lives? We all have them. It's that neighbor. You know, the neighbor, the constant irritation. You think that they, they, they're in there making plans to irritate you. A coworker that just does things to make your job difficult, and you think that they, that's it, that that's their whole life, that they are on a mission to make your life difficult. Maybe you have a boss, feels like it's toxic, could be a close relative. How do we respond to toxic people? Well, let's ask Jesus. How did Jesus respond to toxic people? And Jesus, who is the ultimate guide to uh, how to live a, a godly life, as we look at Jesus, he said that if we learn of him, his yoke would be easy and the burden is going to be light. 
So let's look at Jesus and how he responded to toxic people in his life. So I'm going to start with Mark chapter 15, begin verses 21, and then we'll read just a few verses and say some comments. Then verse 21, it says, Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, I was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. That his cross is, of course, Jesus. Context of here, as we've talked about this last week, is that Jesus is on his death march. He's getting ready to go to Calvary to be crucified on the cross. And he's willingly to carry the cross. He is going there to die for the sins of mankind, for your sins and for my sins. In verse uh, 22, they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which is translated a place of a skull. If you actually look that up, it looked like a, a skull. Um, uh, it was a common place where they, they would uh, execute criminals. Verse 23, and then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. According to tradition at this time, when, when there would be somebody that would go to the cross, and we kind of think of this like hospice cares, is that there was... Uh, there were some women there in Jerusalem that provide a narcotic drink to those condemned to death in order to decrease the, sensit- the, uh, the, the, the pain the, that they were suffering. It would cover that. It would mask that, help them to deal with that. And it was just a, a, an act of mercy that they would give to those that were going. And he rejected that. And I, and I asked my, my question, you know, myself, is why would Jesus reject that? And I think I can think of three different things why Jesus reject, reject that uh, medicine that would help him to cover. First of all, I think he wanted to face this with a very clear mind. The words that he said, the actions, he wanted to be the best. He didn't want to be under the influence of anything. You know, when you're under the influence, sometimes you can do stupid things. <laughs> you can say stupid things, things that you regret. And, and so Jesus didn't want to be there. And then also, I think he also set an example for difficult times. It was very clear he was our great example as we follow his life and his footsteps, that he faced situations head on. Jesus didn't deal with with toxic people or a toxic situation by medicating himself or drowning himself with something. He didn't do that. He was under the influence, if anything, the influence of God Almighty, the Holy Spirit. As he took those steps, he was under the greatest influence of all, God himself, God the Father. He was doing the will of the Father. I think the third thing is that his love for us. He wanted to experience life like we do. He embraced the pain so he could identify and relate to us as we go through. And one day, we may be at a place at death door, and we may have to suffer with great pain, and we can go to a God that knows exactly what we're going through because he has walked in our shoes. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus did not take it. Let's go on, verse 24. When they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. It was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of the accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. Now, it's the third hour, and he, it, it doesn't die to a few hours later. And when they also crucified two robbers 
one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, as he was numbered with transgressions, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Like the chief priests also mocking themselves with the scribes and said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend from the cross that we may see and believe even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Then it says, now then was the sixth hour had come. So we have here the third hour and then the sixth hour had come. Jesus was crucified on a cross that was one of the most horrific ways to die. The Romans prided themselves into making this uh, as a science. How can we give the most pain uh, to the, the criminals as a way of discouraging uh, crime? We must never forget that Jesus is willing to die in the worst way for the worst sinner among us so that our sin debt was paid. We can now stand before a holy God completely forgiven of all our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. Total forgiveness through a Savior who was totally immersed in the pain and death of the cross. And why did he do that? Because he loves us. That was the way that we could receive the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus did that. But while he did that, or until that time that he actually passed on, there were three hours. And in these three hours, we give a description of what happened on that cross. The context is that, that this was a constant stream of vile insults, ridiculed and mocked. There was the crowd that was there. We don't know what the number was. That the, the Jerusalem had swelled. It could have been as many as 50 uh, or, or it could have been hundreds. It might have even been a thousand to see this spectacle uh, as they were there uh, to uh, celebrate Passover. And then there were the soldiers mocking, making fun of Jesus and the religious leaders ridicule. And then even the two thieves that were on both sides of them, the Bible says they reviled them. They were joining in. Jesus in the center of all this mocking, the words, the toxic stuff that was coming out of people's mouths. And for three hours, he was receiving this. I believe we could say it's accurate to say that this was kind of the perfect toxic storm that a person experienced. Think about this. Jesus had been betrayed by a good friend. His closest friends had deserted him. He is an innocent man that was falsely accused. Jesus is on his deathbed, suffering with horrific pain. He is humiliated publicly. And for three hours, his character is assassinated, his faith is questioned, his words are twisted, his teaching is mocked, his actions misjudged as being hypocritical, his appearance is made fun of, and there is no support for him while they're there that we know of. And for three hours, he is showered with the most toxic venom that Satan himself could ever serve up. 
There's never been a greater intensity of evil thrown against that which is of God. Satan mustered every ounce of knowledge and every skill that could cause to be afflicted on a person through these men and through this crowd. I don't mean to be a bummer or downer, but please understand that the devil still uses that tactic today. He allows people in our lives to bring toxic, to, to cause us to be discouraged and maybe even doubt who we are and what God is doing in our life. He still does that today. And if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to take his footsteps with what Jesus experienced, we're going to experience those things as well. So how did Jesus respond to this toxic situation? Here's what I would know. They offered me some medicine and I'm going to pain and suffering. Sign me up. I'm going to take the maximum amount. Give it to me. I don't want to go through this. You know, I, and if somebody is going to argue my character and, and my, uh, you know, I want to stand up and say, and I want to have a personal offense and I want to rebuttal and say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And yet Jesus didn't respond like I would respond. And to this toxic situation, Here's what Jesus did. He just took it. Now, I don't understand that. But, but I think there's some lessons here for us how we're to respond in a, to toxic people or toxic situations. First thing I want to do, though, is I want to describe what a toxic person is. A toxic person, from a theological perspective, is an individual that is so obsessed with self that they prevent others from reaching their full potential in Christ. They're like a roadblock in a glow, a growing in Christ. So, listen, and what I'm thinking, and my definition of a toxic person is anyone who influ whose influence keeps you from drawing close to Jesus. Who is the sweetest person? Who is the one who we want most of all in our life and the greatest influence? If a person influences you, keep you from growing in Christ, that person is toxic to you. It's, it's, it's uh, keeping your growth or your health uh, from growing and to be unhealthy spiritually. You say, well, if that's true, I'm going to live alone on an island because most people in my life are not followers of Jesus, and they could be toxic. <laughs> well, Jesus, when he left heaven, he came to this world, which is a very dark world and is corrupted, and he was willing to do that. But even Jesus, when he was going, and even in the situation, he never let other people interfere in his relationship with God the Father. And I think we need to learn something here from Jesus. Toxic people are consumed in their self-worship that they control other people, demanding in a subtle way an allegiance as if they were God. They are the center of all conversations. They can needlessly drain others of their time and energy with the result of little personal change on their part. When they no longer have an audience, they move on to another unsusceptible 
individual, and oftentimes vilifying the former person who poured so much into their lives. Let me say this. Church, we are prime grounds for fertile ground for receiving toxic people among us. And we embrace, we want that. And because here we know that we are going to love them. And we're going to be passionate, uh, compassionate, and we're going to be caring, and we're going to accept people right where they're at. And so, so our strength becomes our weakness. But sometimes we don't understand that we have to establish some boundaries. We, we don't believe we have the permission to tell people, wait, enough is enough. But we do and we must. Toxic people can be, you know, they can be in a small group. They can uh, be among us. They, they uh, dominate. They may, they resist counsel and they can divide ministries and complaining, gossip. And we can focus all our attention on toxic people and genuine needs are not met and spiritually hungry people are not discipled because we're focusing on toxic people. And please understand, when I say these things, I say these things not because there's something going on among us, though there's always there's people in our life that, you know, need Jesus. It's just... That when Jesus, when they do come to life, Jesus, how did he handle toxic people that entered into life? And here we have the greatest example of a toxic situation. So we say, WWJD with the toxic person, what would Jesus do? Well, we do want to love people right where they are. And like we said last week, you know, when Jesus was carrying a cross and he couldn't do it anymore and then Simon came on and carried the cross because there was a need uh, Jesus was overwhelmed uh, physically couldn't carry it in and we're to be like those people and we are to be we're not to uh, pull back from that but when you study the life of Jesus there are times that Jesus would engage and then there are times when he disengaged people there are times when Jesus, and I think there's about uh, almost two dozen times in the scriptures when Jesus w- would, would walk away from people, or people would walk away from him, and he didn't go chase them down. So there are occurrences, and there are times when, when uh, he did this, um, sometimes out of conflict, he retreated. Sometime of his own refreshment and renewal or protection. Sometimes that we see that Jesus had some really clear boundaries that he wouldn't engage or he wouldn't go. And such is a time here when Jesus didn't engage with the crowd, didn't engage, engage with the, the religious leaders. He had a, a, a boundary there that he just, whatever they said, did not seem to impact him. He went on. Here's the point. Jesus didn't let the needs, pleas, and attacks of toxicity of others distract him from the mission given to him by his heavenly Father. Jesus knew who he was. 
He knew his God purpose. We, we talked about this at the men's uh, breakfast yesterday, that Christ, Paul said that, Paul, uh, that Christ came to, to save sinners, and he says this five different times. He knew his purpose. He knew his mission. He knew what the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit was, uh, thought about him. And Jesus there on the cross in this situation, he knew who his father, uh, he and his father were one. And he knew the part of the father's will and what God was, was doing in his life. And he said, nevertheless, I, not what I want, but God, what you want the night before. And so if you know who you are in Christ and what God's purpose is, you will be like a mighty oak standing strong in the weathering of toxic storm, though it is blowing all around you. But if we don't know who we are in Christ, you wrestle with God's love for you. You don't understand the promises of God for you that are for you. You don't understand that God is for you. We do not know God's purpose for our lives. You'll be easily swayed when a toxic person comes into life and they question you. And you, and you, you are a question about what you should do or shouldn't do, and you'll be on that, that trial, be pushed to believe things like they see things because you have not nailed down who you are in Christ. I think some of the, the I think what the two bedrock questions that we all face as believers and every person is this is that first of all who I am in Christ you have to nail that down that is so vital for us who am I in Christ and what is God's purpose for my life what does God want for me in my life because you know who you are in Christ and you know God's purpose for your life you don't feel guilty if you have to confront the toxic person or walk away from them. You're confident that you're in the right and they are in the wrong. They are the ones that should feel guilty and you don't because you know what the truth is. And God's opinion of value is, is, is valuable more than any other person. And you know what it is. And you know that it's good. And we understand toxic people are broken people. They're unhealthy people. And to respond godly, we must be healthy ourselves. Our spiritual core must be healthy before we respond to toxic people. And so I'm going to give you some, uh, some points here with this message to help us to deal with toxic people. First of all, number one, we have to have a healthy spiritual core. Like I just said, know who you are in Christ. Know your God purpose. Jesus never once un, uh, was questioning, uh, you know, who he was. He always knew who he was. And he got in trouble for stating that. I said, I, my father, are one. How can you be that person? Call him blasphemy by the religious leaders. Jesus knew who he was. He was the son of God, the son of man. He, and he knew his purpose. He was born to die. Listen, if, if you need to travel from here to, let's say, Ventura, and you know that is your goal, and, and, and you're going there, and, and that is, listen, you aren't going to go over to Simi Valley. You're going to go that way, or whatever way Ventura is. And, and then 
If your goal is to get to Ventura, you're not going to be tempted to stop at Cracker Barrel for breakfast. That's your goal. You know about it. If you haven't figured that out, you need to get that settled, who you are in Christ. And we certainly can help you with that. Who am I in Christ? And what is my purpose? What's God want for me in my life? When you get that settled, you can keep on tracking, just like Jesus. Number two, when we talk about how I'm dealing with toxic people, toxic situations, one size doesn't fit all. And what I mean by that, it depends on the situation, how you're going to respond. It's not a fixed response. So you can say, well, you know, every time when this toxic person comes out, this is exactly what you should do. Oh, first thing you need to stop and say, God, what is it that you want me to do with this? Holy Spirit, guide me and direct. How am I to respond to this individual in my life? Am I to engage or not engage? God, help me to understand this. I think one of the keys here is to remember in our relationship with others, if the, if the relationship out there is hindering my relationship and growing in God, then we have to take that out because that is so important. If it's hindering our relationship with the Lord, we need to re, uh, remove that hinder so that we can continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Number three, there are toxic people who are teachable. That's why you can't just say wherever you talk to a person. But listen, I think, I think as we look at Jesus' life, you know, and he allowed Judas, and, and uh, certainly you know what Judas did. But I also think of Peter. And Peter, who, you know, one time Jesus said, you know, to Peter as he was talking about it, and says, you know, get behind me, Satan. And, and, and evidently the devil was speaking through Peter somehow to, to Jesus. And, and it was just like, those are toxic words. Those are devil words. I don't want those in my life, Jesus was saying. And Jesus would, would say to Peter, said, you know, the devil has sifted you, and he's, he's trying to gain your, your uh, control or distraction and pull you out in a different direction. And G- Jesus, when he was betrayed, I mean, uh, after he was betrayed, you know, Peter, who, who warmed himself by the fire as Jesus being judged, and he denied uh, being a follower of Jesus Christ three different times. Jesus goes on to be crucified, but remember, after the crucifixion, after the death, and after the resurrection, he came back to Peter and engaged with him and said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter responded, yes, yes, he had change. If a person is teachable, they can, like Peter, grow to more like Jesus. They can can grow. It can change. We all can change. There's nothing too hard for God. Nothing too hard for God. Number four, the test for who is teachable. So how do you teach? How do you, how do you find it? Well, it's to confront leads to change. If there's toxic people confronted as we follow Matthew 18, we approach toxic people and their toxicity, we want to be like the spirit, not like the devil. We want to help them deal with the specific changeable behaviors that are hurting 
us and others and themselves. And the goal, of course, is to lead them to Jesus, teaching them to surrender to the power and control of the Holy Spirit. That would be the goal. But if in confronting and teaching and, and the truth is always is, this, is rejected and refused or ignored and to go on, then that could be a different decision to be made. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 challenges, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So we are always to have this idea of, of re, uh, bringing people back to Jesus. They stray, they bring them back to Jesus. They're getting off, we'll bring them back to Jesus. It's the person that is unrepentant, hard, that, that closes the door and says, no, I don't want that. That is the difficult one. It brings us to number five. There are toxic people who are unteachable. And when we run into this unteachable spirit, for our sake and for their sake as well, we distance ourselves as much as possible from those who won't listen. Distance ourselves. Jesus did not engage while he was there on the cross. He distanced himself with, by his thoughts on uh, certainly what God and his mission. He knew that there wouldn't be any any good response if he engaged with them. And so he just was there. He was there in the presence, but he wasn't there engaged. As I think about this, there's those two thieves. Remember? Thief one, thief two. <laughs> and thief one said, you know, in his mind, this was the Son of God, and he agreed with the Roman soldier. And he asked for Jesus in his own way, in his own words, to remember him when he went to heaven to paradise. And Jesus responded to that thief. As far as we know, the other thief died without hope and went to an eternal hell. When we have toxic people in life and they're unteachable, there are times that we say, that's enough. One thing we don't see when others walked away from Jesus is we don't ever see Jesus ever chasing them. And then the closest one we could illustrate would be when Jesus went out to, to Peter and he came back and he responded and he walked with him. But many a time there was like the rich man and uh, the, the young rich man and, and others that came to Jesus or the, or the Pharisees that came to Jesus and he didn't track them down. They went on and he let them go. And as powerful as Jesus was and as brilliant as Jesus was and as pure as Jesus was and as surrendered to God as Jesus was, not everyone he interacted with changed, repented, and agreed with him. I think, the, I think the principle here is sometimes to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to walk away from others and let them walk away from us. It's not that we 
don't love them, but we know that there are times that we must withdraw for our sake, maybe even for our health, for our soul care, and to allow them distance and allow them to experience life maybe in a difficult way. Last thing I want to say about this is prayer. It's prayer. And I say this for two reasons. Is first of all, to, for self and how God will use this in my life. It's like the, it's like the little grain of sand in the oyster, you know. It gets in and irritates the, the oyster. But yet out of that comes a beautiful pearl. And sometimes people in our life, they're like that, that they get, they get in our life and, and they rub us wrong and they're difficult to handle. But through that, God does a great thing in our life and produces growth, greater compassion, greater love, grows us in our relationship, not only with him, but with others. And so we ask ourselves, okay, this person's my life. How do I, how do I deal with this, God? What do you want to use that? How do you want to use that in my life? And we embrace what God's doing there. The other thing is we pray. We pray, of course, the detox for the toxic person. And God, pray for that person. And pray for my relative. I pray for, for that individual. Pray for that coworker as in my life. And God, would you change their heart? God, you can do that. God, would you speak to them? And we pray for them that there will be a change. Sadly, we will encounter many toxic people in this life, and maybe you're experiencing one right now. We have to be discerning enough to recognize toxic people and bold enough to deal with them in a godly way. Let's bow our heads in prayer. So we bow our heads in prayer, and perhaps in the course of the message, you thought of somebody who came to your mind. Maybe somebody that's very dear to you. Maybe somebody that, uh, that uh, is hindering your relationship with Jesus. If you're like that this morning, let's bring that name to Jesus. I'm praying, God, I have this person in my life and they just are like sandpaper. God, if you want to use that in my life to smooth off my rough edges and help me to grow, mature, to be more like you, God, I want to learn the lessons from that person, from that relationship how you want to work through that. And Father, we never want to be that toxic person. We never want to be that person that hinders other people from growing in their relationship with, with you. God, please don't allow this church, this ministry, our families, individually, that we would do things that would cause people 
to not want to come to know you in a greater way. Father, we, speak, we ask you to speak to us and show us if there be things that would cause this friction or hindrance from coming to know who you are and to experience your love and forgiveness. God, we don't want that. Help us not to be the abrasive individual, the caustic person that would cause people to walk away from you. That God, they would know your love, your mercy, and your grace because of your children are acting like you are. Help us to be that way. We know that you love us and know know that you can help us. And Father, we trust you with all this. In Jesus' name, amen.